Good evening. It's 6 o'clock and you are tuned to KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Friday, February 18th, 2022. I'm Claudio Mendoza and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Kelly Reese returns Monday. The Great Resignation Continues, affecting not just working adults, but teenaged students as well. Ever wonder how the drought is impacting your private slice of the Golden State? The California Report shares details about a new system that will help you track conditions anywhere from your backyard up to the state level. After regional headlines and weather, Felton Pruitt chats with Tom Menig, member of the locally celebrated Grateful Dead cover band, The Deadbeats. This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. CSU Chancellor Joseph Castro has announced he is resigning amid scrutiny over his handling of sexual harassment allegations against an administrator while he was president of Fresno State University. Castro's departure was announced Thursday after the Fresno State Academic Senate, which represents the school's faculty, issued a declaration of no confidence in the chancellor earlier this week. The Senate said the chancellor failed to appropriately address sexual assault allegations against Fresno Fresno State's former Vice President of Student Affairs, Frank Lamas. In a statement, Castro said that he disagrees with many aspects of recent media reports and the ensuing commentary, but that resigning at this time is necessary so that the CSU can focus on its mission. You've probably heard that a lot of people are quitting their jobs right now. New federal data show that as of November, 4.5 million adults have already left their jobs and joined what's being called the Great Resignation. While we tend to think about how adults are rethinking their priorities, turns out the phenomenon is also affecting teenagers. KQED's Caroline Smith has been looking into this and is here to share more with us. Caroline, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. What did you hear from students here in California? The high school juniors and seniors I spoke with said that the pandemic changed how they think about school. They were freshmen and sophomores in March 2020, and it is typical for adolescents to reprioritize things and grow in this period. But they told me it's more than that. These students can draw direct lines from their time spent in isolation, in online classrooms, in the ongoing fear they or their loved ones could become sick to the students they are now and to what they value. Can you tell me what the day-to-day experience was like at the beginning of the pandemic for the students you talked to? Online learning came as a shock. Many students found Zoom school demotivating. Here's one high school senior I spoke with in LA County, Melody Dow. People have lost family members, they've lost friends, and it's just really hard to go through all of that but then receive a notification on your, on your phone saying, your teacher posted a new math assignment. It's due tonight at 11.59 p.m. It sounds like this brought into sharper focus what's really important for the students you talk to. Is that right? Yeah, for many academic high achievers, the straight A, AP, or IB class takers, they couldn't perform in school the way they used to. And when so much of their self-esteem was based on their grades, they felt like their identities were destabilized. One student I spoke with, Ian Sito, described Zoom classes where, the moment class wrapped, around 15 students would just disappear instantly, meaning they'd been hovering over the leave button. And it's not like they had places to be, he told me. 
They just couldn't take being in class anymore. It was a hard realization to, to realize that I wasn't the student that I was before and I, I couldn't be as motivated as I was before. And across the board, students had to structure their lives differently during online learning. Many came to realize that their family, friends, and mental health should come before grades. They thought about how much school has shaped their worldviews previously. So some started passion projects, Sito started sewing more often, and Melody Dow started a podcast called Study Break. They realized that they'd rather spend more time on their interests than on striving for straight A's from the classes they weren't passionate about. Did the students get into how this changed their thoughts about the future? Yeah, and this isn't to say that students even stopped working hard in their classes, but as Sito shared with me, for many students, COVID unveiled how life is unpredictable. They reconsidered their planned majors, wanting to pursue subjects that they actually care about, and some even reconsidered college itself. They started debating whether a high tuition would be worth a university experience that could be online. Beyond these shifting values around education and career planning, what else did the students tell you about what they want now? Beyond taking classes that they're interested in and thinking about how much effort to put in, the students I spoke with want their schools to take their mental health concerns seriously and for there to be better structural support. The pandemic made even more visible systemic inequities, conditions that often worsen mental health in the first place. So it's directly because of the pandemic that students are pushing for what they need, both for their physical and mental health. So it sounds like, I mean, do you think it's fair to say that some of this existential stress has been productive? Yeah, I would say so. I feel like the students I spoke with are, while they understand the gravity of this moment, they're also deeply appreciative that they are able to rethink the time they have on this earth with a new lens. Once again, that was KQED's Caroline Smith. Caroline originally reported this story for MindShift at KQED, and you can find the web version at kqed.org. A new system will help Californians track drought conditions anywhere from their backyard to the state level. KQED climate reporter Ezra David Romero explains. The tool comes at an important time. January and February are on track to be the driest on California record. The California Water Watch portal gives a range of data including rain, temperature, and reservoir levels. Californians can also input their address to find out local conditions. Carla Namath is the director of the California Department of Water Resources. She says even if the entire state is in a drought, it doesn't necessarily mean every Californian has a water supply emergency. That's because each region of the state gets water from different and multiple sources. The goal of the tool is to help residents make better decisions about how they use water. For the California Report, I'm Ezra David Romero. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. 
And that's the California Report for Friday, February 18th, a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin, Keith Mizuguchi, and Azul Dahlstrom Ekman. Our editor is Angela Corral. Our managing editor is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening and have a good weekend. Locally, the Nevada County Coronavirus Dashboard is reporting 48 new cases today. 453 cases are active, 19 are listed as active hospitalizations. Although Nevada County reverted to the State of California Health Officer order for masking on Wednesday, February 16th, Public Health Officer Dr. Sherilyn Cook still highly recommends that everyone, regardless of vaccination status, wear a high-quality mask while in public spaces. Quote, Our local case rate is lower than statewide data, and we continue to see a sharp decrease in cases. However, we continue to have high transmission and should continue to take precautions until our case rate is considerably lower. End of quote. Although local case rates are quickly declining, the CDC still indicates widespread transmission in Nevada County and throughout the country and recommends that everyone wear a mask while transmission is high. The Nevada County Public Health Department says that the local health care system is better prepared to handle COVID-19 cases with the improved ability to treat COVID-19 patients with therapeutics. The public health officer will continue to assess the public health situation as it evolves and may issue additional orders as circumstances change. Moving now to a brief look at regional weather in Grass Valley and Nevada City. Tonight clear with a low around 42. Saturday will be sunny with a high near 67. On Sunday, it'll be mostly cloudy before gradually becoming sunny with a high near 61. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around 21. Saturday should be sunny with a high near 53. Sunday, mostly sunny with a high near 47. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight mostly clear with a low around 40. Saturday will be sunny with a high near 71. And Sunday will start off cloudy through mid-morning, then gradually becoming clear with a high near 65. As is our custom here at KVMR, on Fridays we bring you conversations with artists and musicians. Today is no different. Settle in and listen as Felton Pruitt chats with local Grateful Dead cover band member Tom Menig. We're talking with Tom Menig, one of the uh, favorite musicians of our Nevada County area for many, many years. Tom, of course, is in the Deadbeats and also has a recording studio, Silver Maple Studios here in, uh, is it Nevada City or Grass Valley where your studios are, Tom? Well, technically, it's Grass Valley, but I'm actually out in Chicago Park. Oh, okay. Somewhere off of, uh, 174? Out here off of 174. You've got a show coming up at the Miner's Foundry Friday, February 25th, 8 p.m. The Deadbeats return to the Miner's Foundry. I imagine you've probably played there 500 times over the years. I've played there many, many times, going back to the mid-'90s when the Deadbeats uh, formed. Yeah, that was probably one of the first big venues we played. And I always have a soft spot for the Miner's Foundry. What was the first year that the Deadbeats got together? 
We got together August 4th, 1994 was our first show. And you remember the exact date. Why does that stick in your head still? Oh, well, it just stuck in my brain. I think I had the poster hanging around in my old studio for a while, so it kind of imprinted, you know? Yeah, we got together just on a whim. I think it was a Thursday night at the Mad Dogs and Englishman Pub in Nevada City. And, you know, we had a handful of friends that all knew a handful of dead tunes and got together and we had fun right from the get. So we decided to keep with it and people seemed to enjoy it. And there you go. When Many you, later, here we are. When you say uh, we, now I'm, I'm assuming it was Paul Cam and your brother Eric and who else? And Gary Campus and a friend, uh, Craig Chamberlain, at the time was on drums. He was replaced a year later by Robbie Kopp, who is back in the Deadbeats now. Yeah, so that was the original lineup. with uh, And also Dave Smith on keyboards, who now lives in Texas. Yeah, we played in that configuration for a good while. And then my brother, Eric, after a couple of years, he was on bass. He had... Uh, a child on the way and didn't think he wanted to be in a band. So uh, we had our friend Rich Stanmeyer come to play bass, and he played with us for nine years. And uh, he returned to Nevada City last year during COVID to get out of Texas. Okay. And, and we we played uh, some music with him while he was here, and it was awesome because he hadn't lived in town for 20 years, and he's, he's a musician extraordinaire. What actually got you to want to be in a band? Well, I guess you would call it a dead cover band to start with. Definitely a dead cover band. Well, I was not like a, a deadhead that followed the band around, but I definitely I saw my first show in 1973 at UCLA and saw them a bunch of times and drove my mom's station wagon up and during high school to go see them at Winterland for the quote-unquote last ones, the last shows. I think I saw three nights of that and actually made it into the uh, Grateful Dead movie. Brief crowd shot on myself. How many <laughs> minutes in do you know? Can you tell us if we go one hour, 27 minutes and 32 seconds in and look in the crowd, there you are? Well, I can tell you that it's right after, uh, it's towards the end of the movie, right after Morning Dew. Very cool. And there's a starry-eyed 16-year-old up near the front of the stage. There's probably like six people in the shot or something. We share something then, Tom, because I'm in a Grateful Dead movie, too, except I heard that they've cut the end out where we were in. We were actually just in this giant white stretch limo coming out of Laguna Seca after the 83 show. Oh, wow. And they tagged that at the end of the uh, Touch of Grey video. But then I've heard that when you watch it on YouTube now, that's been cut and we're not even in that. Yeah, well, I know I I looked for the YouTube version of the Grateful Dead movie, and I found Morning Dune, of course, you know, they cut it just few seconds before my exactly yeah you know, you know, so. but if you know if you watch the old vhs tape it's on there baby exactly yeah i'll swear to it that's right well here we are now in 2022 and the deadbeats still rolling on the music of the grateful dead is bigger than ever You've gone through some changes in the last few years. Paul Cam has moved on to uh, Achilles' wheel, and you brought yeah. in a wonderful guy to, uh, into the band. Yeah, Peter Wilson. I played with Peter since I moved up here back in the early 80s, and uh, yeah, Peter's a great guy and a true professional and a master of promotion and as well as many other things, and a great guitar player. And so that's been, you know, a little transition period, but it's working out great. And also Robbie's wife, uh, Jen, 
Robbie Cobb, the drummer, his wife, Jennifer Knapp, is singing with us as well, which is nice. Yeah, still enjoying it. We got together night before last and had a, a good time playing the music of the Grateful Dead. We're talking with Tom Menig from the Deadbeats, who also, you also have a recording studio, Silver Maple Studios. Uh, tell, yeah. us, tell us about that. Oh, it's a, you know, I, I set it up. I had a, a recording studio in Nevada City when I lived there in a little converted garage. And uh, when I went came time to buy a house, I was definitely looking for a place that had room for a recording studio. So I found this place out here in Chicago Park and had an empty 1,400 square square foot area i thought that that's perfect and it, it's worked out great it's both my rehearsal space and a recording studio and it's it's not something i advertise it's it's kind of just word of mouth friend of friends kind of deal but i've done some fun projects out here what, and uh, what kind of projects over the years have you done like name a couple that were really fun for you well i've i've done a lot of the earls of Newtowns uh recording projects in fact we're really close to finishing up a an EP that they've been working on. I mean, we started it pre-pandemic, and it's been really hard to corral those guys. It's an eight-piece band, so kind of hard to get everybody at one time in the same space. But that's turned out really nice. Um, I've been working with my other band, Buckstar. We just finished up a record, which is yet to be released. Oh, yeah, that sounds exciting. Now, I've seen Buckstar over the years. Talk about them for a second. Well, it's, it's basically uh, the same personnel as the Deadbeats, only Peter's not in the band, and the keyboard player Glenn is not in the band, and second drummer Gary Campus is not in the band. So it's a pared-down operation, and we play, it's all originals, or mostly originals, 99% originals, written by uh, Glenn. My brother Eric plays bass in that band, Rob Kopp on drums, and we have the addition of Larry Tracy on pedal steel. And it tends to be a little bit more country-influenced, although we can pretty much cover any ground, you know? And aside from uh, you and your brother Eric, you also have another music star in your family. Talk about your daughter. Yeah, my daughter, Alila Diane, we recorded her first record. Jeez, it was like 2002, and... That ended up going gold in France, so she started a pretty big career over in Europe, and I've gotten to tour with her a number of times, playing in her band, which has been awesome. And she's doing really well, and she also has a uh, new record that's slated for release this fall, and it's really good. And, you know, I've done some work over the years with her in the studio as well, you know, working on demos and uh, and such things. Her, her latest record is being produced by this fella, Tucker Martin, who's a really great producer, has worked a lot with Bill Frizzell, who's one of my favorite uh, guitar players. That must be really satisfying as a father and a musician to uh, have your daughter reach acclaim and success like she has. Oh, yeah, super proud of her. And, you know, when she was younger, I had no idea that she would want to pursue a career in music. She, you know, was a straight-A student and you know, I just didn't see it. I thought her. I thought maybe she'd become a doctor or something. But yeah, she fell into my footsteps, and she's done really well and had a great career. She's an amazing singer, an amazing songwriter. Yeah, I mean, she's been at it for a while now. She's got two kids, and she still goes and tours. I mean, she hasn't been since the pandemic, but after the release of her new record, she plans on going back on tour. In fact, I went on tour with her in 2019 just pre-pandemic and did a short tour of Europe. I think we did two two weeks worth of dates there. 
and that was a kick. We just did it as a duo, and we released a uh, an anniversary vinyl release with the you know extended track list of her first record, Pirates Gospel, which was her her first big hit over in Europe. And so we were touring behind that. We got to dive into the past a little bit. You know, that was kind of fun. We're talking with Tom Menig from the Deadbeats. I got to tell you, Tom, the first band I ever saw when I moved here back in 2005 was a New Year's Eve show from the Deadbeats out at the Amaral Hall at the uh, fairgrounds. Oh, yeah. What year was that? I think that was New Year's Eve of 2005 into 2006. Yeah, that sounds about right. I lived down off McCourtney, and my wife said, hey, you know, there's this dead band playing on, on New Year's Eve. And I go, really? Well, I, I didn't know anybody. I just, okay, I'll go. <laughs> go check it out. Yeah. Right down the road, huh? <laughs> and I said, maybe I moved to the right town. There you go. Thanks for there welcoming. Yeah, it was our pleasure. Yeah, I mean, I don't even remember half the shows we've done over the years. I'm like, really? We play? I, know, I remember playing at the fairgrounds opening for Los Lobos. And also I remember playing at the fairgrounds opening for, uh, who, who I'm trying to think, always wears re- overalls. I say Elvin Bishop, but... Elvin Bishop, that's the guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, Elvin <laughs> gave me one of the funniest lines ever in an interview when I says, Elvin, you always dress very casually when you do your shows. And he was wearing in overalls when we were doing the interview. And he goes... Well, you know, Felton, I always like to be able to go fishing and then not have to change clothes when I go to work. So That's right. <laughs> so he was wearing his overalls. That's, that I remembered more than his name. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, we certainly wish you the best with the Deadbeats. we got the show coming up Friday, the 25th of February at the Miners Foundry. And then do you know anything about uh, the Jerry Bash later on this summer? That had been a traditional thing until COVID hit out at Pioneer Park. Well, we're hoping it happens. We're optimistic. If they want to do it again, we are down for it. That's one of my favorite shows of the year. Always nice to play outdoors. We've been talking with Tom Menig from the Deadbeats. We'll see you at the Miners Foundry on the 25th and have a continued great career. Thanks, Dalton. Thanks for calling. And that concludes your local, community-supported newscast for this evening. If you want to listen to it again, you can do that at our website, kvmr.org. While you're there, check out our events calendar, listen to one of our many podcasts, and consider donating securely using our online donation portal. It's fast, it's easy, and it's totally secure. 100% of what you donate goes towards keeping your community radio station independent and on the air. Stick around. Coming up next, it's the California Report magazine. And then at 7, it's Democracy Now! I'm Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for listening. And thanks for letting us be a part of your world. Have a fun, safe weekend, and tune in on Monday at 6.30 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News. Thank you.